What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang, and we are coming at you on our Thursday mailbag episodes. Pat, I don't know about you, but I have come to get so excited come Wednesday afternoon when we put that tweet out there asking for questions. We have another really good slate today. And then on the docket for this episode, we've got a little bit of a DePaul recap after Nova's 67-43 to win at the Finn against DePaul on Tuesday night. We have a St. John's preview for this weekend. Some whip around the Big East, along with a big piece of tangentially Big East news. And then we'll finish up with that mailbag as always. Yeah, no, you're totally right. Listen, I'm still riding high from that Alan Ray interview. I have so much fun to oh, do. So. <laughs> and thank you to everyone that has listened to it. Alan was amazing. And, and hopefully we can talk to him again, you know, at, at another point because he was so great. But you're right. The, these mailbag uh, episodes are so much fun. We love interacting with all you guys and answering your questions and talking to you this you know, let's get it. And obviously riding high after a big win on, on Tuesday night or big win, a, a win on, on Tuesday night. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say it if you hadn't. So I'm glad you did. But I no, you're right. It. Before we, we go any further, though, that we have to say something. OK. Happy birthday to Eric Dixon, one of our guys. Happy birthday. Right. Yeah. As we record this, I know this the drops day the day after. But as we record this, it is Eric Dixon's birthday. We are very pro Eric Dixon, as you know, from listening to this. So, of course, got to shout out our guy. He had some good moves. Did you see the video? He did. I laughed very hard. Yeah. I love that they do that. <laughs> I love how into it Caleb was too. Uh, <laughs> I saw that from the great. back. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. No, but just to reiterate what you said about the Alan Wright interview too, if you haven't listened to it, press pause on us right now, because what he had to say was much more important. It was after a, a few days after the Marquette loss, a day after the Georgetown win. I think this was a really good time to test the temperature of somebody with a perspective as unique as his. So it's a really great episode. We get into everything from Pat had some of his best questions ever. So I seriously (laughs) mean that. And all the time that we've been recording together, those were phenomenal questions about his playing days. And then we get into Villanova's X factor and that killer instinct. We, we run a whole gauntlet of things. So it was really fun. It was great. Uh, I had so much fun talking to him. I thought we hit, you know, a bunch of a variety of different topics and eras and all things like that. And it was just, it's one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Me too. And I think it actually hit a really wide, broad demographic too, which is always nice. So there's something for everybody. Definitely. We think so. All right. Let's get into DePaul. This one was pretty sealed up in that Mm -hmm. second half. So we don't have too, too much on it again in this relatively soft January schedule for Nova. But I guess the biggest disclaimer, and I know we would probably be having a different conversation about DePaul if this wasn't the case, but their best player, Javon Freeman yeah. Liberty, one of the best scorers in the conference, is still dealing with that groin injury that looked really painful when they showed that replay. Yeah, my bad from last episode. I think I called it an ankle injury. I don't know where my mind was at that point. But yeah, definitely a groin injury out for his third straight game. Not only one of the best scorers in the conference, he is statistically the best scorer. Leading in, scorer. Yeah. Exactly, in the conference. So you know that DePaul, without that go-to guy, was going to struggle, especially on the road. It was, it was a much bigger ask than it already was, being that they haven't beaten Villanova since January of 2008. Um, 22nd straight win for the Wildcats over DePaul. And also on Freeman Liberty, too. It's, of course, you know we know all about the offense, but he is such a good defender um, when he's locked in that you know I, I think that helped guys like Justin and Colin have you know decent shooting nights because they didn't have to worry about being guarded by him. 
and they didn't have to worry about guarding him on uh, when they were on defense. I mean, he torched Nova in the first half of that first game. He's so, so good. It, it was definitely nice to not have to lock down that one player. And when we talk about St. John's, I think I'm going to center my thoughts at least around the role players. And mm-hmm. you would think that it would probably be the same about DePaul because it's JFL and DePaul, it's Julian Champagny on St. John's, and then it's everybody else. But we expected more from the Jones. What's his first Ooh, name? Is it David, David Jones? Yeah, David Jones, the Brandon Johnsons, the Nick Ungendas. And they put up, I mean, Jones had one, yeah. Ungenda had zero, and Johnson had six. So Javon Johnson had a nice game. He had 16 points. But when you're getting that little production from the guys that are supposed to step up in Freeman Liberty's wake, that's tough. And they scored 43 points. It's tough to do any more than that. No, David Jones was the guy that I thought you really were going to look at and see him step up in this game for DePaul and try and carry the load. I mean, if you look at him, he did take nine shots, um, <laughs> but he went over nine, yeah. <laughs> which I, I do want to say. That's tough. That's it, tough. It man. is yeah. tough. And I do want to center on how impressive that is for Villanova because I believe he's averaging around 14 or 15 points a game. Mm-hmm. So to be able to hold the guy to, to one point on a free throw, you know, completely you know, goose egg from the field. And then Jalen Terry, who of course is going to take a ton of shots as well. Well, with Freeman Liberty being out, yes, he scored 10 points, but he was four of 10, you know, from the field. Yeah. So they were able to limit kind of his effectiveness as well. DePaul doesn't have the other options around it, especially when Jones struggles the way he did to make up for it. And clearly you saw that in the fact they put up 43 points. Uh, but I, I, so I do want to say Villanova did a nice job on defense, taking away where DePaul was going to have to go with Freeman Liberty out. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think this this defensive performance was another vintage one because this is now the third Big East game where Villanova has limited an opposing offense to less than 45 points. That's a big deal. You get some of those outlier games like Creighton the first time around and even Georgetown over the weekend where they put up 74. That was not a shining example of what Villanova can do. Definitely not. (laughs) But you've got the Creighton was 41 points the second time around. Butler scored 42 and now DePaul scored 43. That's a really nice trend. Yes, it's the lower teams of the conference, but still, as Alan Ray said, every one of these teams is giving their best shot at Villanova. So you expect them to bring their A game for Villanova's defense to step up as much as it did. It's a big deal. Look at us being in sync because, of course, one of my points was about um, DePaul only putting up 43 points and that being yeah. the second best defensive output that Villanova have allowed, you know, in terms of points scored here in the Big East. You know, you, you mentioned uh, the the Butler game. Basically, how I look at this week, it, it's a little odd, you know, with the Georgetown game and the DePaul game with it being so strange where Georgetown scored so many points and then DePaul, you know, the defense was a, mo- a lot more locked in. Basically, what I'm probably going to end up titling this episode for Villanova, this was the taking care of business week, is as simple as they put it. They played Georgetown. They played DePaul. The Georgetown one wasn't pretty. I think at times you could say this DePaul game wasn't super pretty, but they came away with it with two really big, you know, much-needed wins to continue along that pursuit of a Big East, you know, regular season title and a one seed. Uh, they got back on winning ways at the Finneran Pavilion, which is, of course, big after dropping the game to Marquette. So they did what they needed to do. I feel the same way. Taking care of business is the perfect way to put it. I do have one question. We talked a little bit on Tuesday's episode when we did the Georgetown segment after the Alan Ray interview about how weird it was that Villanova put up 85 points in that game because it didn't feel like that could have been offensive performance. (laughs) So to flip that, Villanova only put up 67 points in this DePaul game. And I also felt like they shot 
better and played better offensively than the 67 points seemed to show. Did you get that type of, that type of feeling at all? God, this is weird because yeah, I did. And I was thinking about <laughs> framing that, that exact question. It's, it's odd, right? It, it is odd because just things felt out of sync against Georgetown. I think what carried them was the fact that Gillespie scored 28. And then of course, mm-hmm. you know, Samuels had one of his better scoring outputs and all of that. But I felt in terms of offensive execution, I was pretty happy with what I saw from Villanova here. They scored 67. 67 is what feels about right for this Villanova team. When I think about where it's 67, you know, low seventies, I think is where Villanova is when they're, when they're hitting or when they're even not their best game, but where I kind of expect them to churn out just with Gillespie and more, of course, leading the way and then looking for where else that scoring was going to come from. Eric was the one that supplied it again on Tuesday night. Uh, You know, I thought the cuts were pretty crisp from Villanova, which I was impressed with. I did think you saw a bunch of the guards trying to get into the paint and work things around there, whether it be to facilitate shots from beyond the arc or or find cutters to the rim. So yeah, it's so weird because Villanova scored basically 20 points less than they did against Georgetown, but I felt execution wise a little more comfortable with what I saw. Yeah. And maybe that's the the sheer amount of shots that Justin Moore took. Could be, could be (laughs) the fact that he went six for 17 from the field. Again, I didn't come away from this game thinking, wow, he missed a lot of shots. Wow, Villanova didn't look good offensively. I thought the opposite. It's just funny to look at these numbers and realize that it is a little bit of a difference. The other thing, I guess, which is a good part, is that the scoring was relatively evenly distributed, which is always a good thing. It comes to averaging more assists per game, averaging more points in the paint, getting offensive rebounds. I think they did all of those little things well. And then I want to talk about the specifics, the shooting specifically, but I think before that conversation even needs to happen, a a more important one needs to happen. And that's the conversation you overheard at the Finneran Pavilion at the game. (laughs) I wasn't sure if you were going to bring this up. It it has to be brought up. You need to be (laughs) exposed on air. Oh God. Yeah. So I will, I will happily bring people up to speed. So I was at the DePaul game on Tuesday night and I, in my very sarcastic and passive aggressive way, um, texted Emma that I had overheard one of the guys sitting next to me at the game telling his buddy that Villanova often shoots 45% from three this year and how good they are from three. And I, of course, jokingly sent to, to Emma, like, I, I think he's going to be very disappointed. You know, this is not <laughs> this is not that three-point marksman type team. And what does Villanova go out and do but shoot 44% from three on 11 made threes, you know, solidly above their average of 36% on the season. So I guess it comes to what the hell do I know? And I yeah. deserve that for, uh, for making fun of the guy to you. I told him that he should resign on the spot, yeah, but it's actually, time for me to retire. That guy maybe needs our business card so he can start tuning into this episode. I should have told so, him. I should have yeah. told him. Hey, you win some, you lose some. No, but this, it was just a larger indication of how much better of a shooting night this was, because again, they needed this type of game. They needed to put DePaul away. I, I will concede that I did think it took a little bit longer than it probably should have, especially with Freeman Liberty out, yeah. but the way they grooved in the second half was really nice to see. Yeah. For first 10 minutes of the second half were not good. Um, and that, that's where DePaul closed it to, I believe, a six-point deficit after Villanova started to run away with it um, going into halftime. Uh, in that, you know, 10-minute span, uh, Villanova only scored eight points, you know, to, yeah. to start off the second half. So things were certainly a little cold there. Of course, they closed very well, which is nice after conversations we've had recently, 24-7 in those last 10 minutes of the game. So, you know, kind of 
on and off a little bit. Yes, they took care of business, uh, but it did get a little uncomfortable for a couple minutes in the second half uh, early on. Shockingly, because for all the people that read Brendan Riley's article about Villanova's closing on VUHoops.com, the third quarter is actually when they, or the third part of this game, the first half, first part of the second half. Sorry about that. That's usually their strength. They, yeah. they make the halftime adjustments and they come out screaming at the beginning of the second half. And you saw the complete opposite of that against DePaul. But yeah, it was ice I would much rather them start off slow and close well than the other way around because we've had that conversation one too many times, Pat. Oh, I've had enough of talking. And well, funny <laughs> about we're going to talk about it again because it's one of our questions uh, in the mailbag later today. But yeah, it, it was good to see them really explosively close out DePaul and especially explosive, explosively close out DePaul, you know, with a lot of bench players getting some minutes there at the end and still held DePaul to just seven points in that last 10 minutes. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, speaking of bench players, I think this might oh, was be it time? the... It might be time. <laughs> and this game, when we look back on it, might be the that's when Brian Antoine started heating up game. If that's oh, not too much of a hello. mouthful for people to say. I believe it. What do you think? I like it. So 21 minutes. I did look into this a little bit because, you know, obviously it felt like the bench played a lot. And it's not just that it felt like the bench played a lot. The bench did play a lot. So Caleb Daniels clocked in 26 <clears throat> minutes. Brian Antoine put in 21. Jordan Longino, 12. And then Trey <clears throat> and, and Chris had another one minute uh, a piece. And when I looked at it, that's 61 minutes from the bench. That is the third most bench minutes we've seen so far from a Villanova team in Big East games. But... The disclaimer there is that the only games where we saw more minutes come from the bench were Butler and Creighton, a 40-point mm. win and a 30-point win. Now, I understand that Villanova closed this thing out by over 20, but it was a trend throughout the game that guys like Jordan, guys like Brian, were in a little more than you know normal. So I, I wonder if this was a step in the right direction there, um, more so than just guys playing in garbage time. Yeah, I mean, Caleb finished this game. So there, it, it didn't feel like take all the guys out, let them get that standing ovation and then sit on the bench and chill. Like no, Trey only against... came in with like a minute and a half left. Right, right. I remember thinking it is a 20-point game. We do not need Conglas for <laughs> right now, <laughs> which we've thought at some point on this season. But I think that's a really good point. Before I get into the positives, I do wonder if the Slater injury still plays into this a little bit, and that's why you're seeing – such an uptake in minutes for Brian Anton specifically. I think and less for Slate. Yeah, exactly. And only the 20 minutes for Slate. I think Jordan will probably stay in that seven to 12 range. If, if 12 is even the top, maybe it's closer to 10. So I wonder about that, but this was the offensive showing the offensive potential game, because all we've done really exclusively is talk about Brian Antoine's athleticism and versatility yep. on defense and how good Jordan Longino is at creating turnovers. We have not talked about offense at all. We talked about that Hail Mary shot that Longino <laughs> put up the buzzer once. Yeah. yeah, that you yelled at me for bringing up. <laughs> <laughs> but he took two strong drives to the basket. Brian Antoine took a strong drive mm, to the basket. Multiple. Jordan Longino, multiple. Jordan Longino's on the free throw line, nailing shots. This is the confidence that they get from practice, Jay Wright putting trust in them and them going onto the court. And similar to what Alan Ray said on Tuesday, not trying to be perfect, no. not being scared of losing minutes, just going out there and playing. And it shouldn't be a shock to anybody. This is how good they really are. We just haven't had 
a full chance to see it yet because it's been on such a limited basis. So I'll start with Brian, with Brian Antoine, because that's where I was most excited for, for what I saw, what he showed on Tuesday night was a change in the offensive game plan. Because the only thing we've really seen from Brian on offense so far is throwing up threes. And he's made a couple of them. You know, we we talked about it uh, recently that he, you know, his percentage is really low. I don't have the number in front of me, so I don't want to quote it, but you know, he can hit a couple of threes, but he's definitely not a high percentage three type guy. So I loved, loved to see him more involved in this offense and getting to the rim and getting around there. No, of course, he's not a big guy. He's not even, you know, a Jermaine Samuels type sized wing, but what Brian Antoine has, he has in droves and that is speed, quickness, and athleticism. And we saw that on Tuesday night for him to try to get around his defenders and get to the rim. And it is something that I am hoping to see a lot more of moving forward instead of just the like stand in the corner and, yeah. and throw up a couple of threes. Listen, it's fine. Of course, it's important to be a three-point outlet for how this Villanova team runs, but we haven't really seen him drive too much. And we saw it three times um, on Tuesday night. And that, that's a big change. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit off mic, but a couple of weeks ago when we had that pressing questions episode and Brian Antoine's impact was one specific question. It was during the winning streak. It was there's a pretty obvious correlation between Brian Antoine getting extended play in Villanova winning. What, what is there to that? And I think you and I both agreed and strayed more to the side of it gives rest to the starters. It adds a little bit of a wrinkle on defense, but he isn't explicitly doing something that makes this team better. I think we're slowly, we're slowly entering that chat because during this game, yes, it was DePaul. He did things that explicitly made this team better. And I didn't expect that to come so quickly. I just want to continue to see him out there. I know. That's my big thing is, is continue to let him grow. And because, because it is, it is so important for this team to develop another reliable option off the bench. Not even just a guy you can throw out there. Listen, you know, Caleb is going to be a guy that's going to play a ton of minutes uh, coming off the bench. He is the sixth man. He's going to be that. We talk about depth and strengthening and lengthening things out. Of course, that's important because you need to be able to give your starters a little bit of blow. But to have another guy that you can at least look at and say, I trust him on defense. I know he can make plays. And even if he's not a focal point of the offense, and Brian Antoine does not need to be a focal point of this offense, but if he gives me something where I know that he can hurt some other teams, that is going to be so key to this Villanova attack as they continue to evolve as we get closer and closer to March. It's a threat. It's having him as a threat. So that when they do overplay Gillespie and more, Brian Antoine can actually make something come of that. And I, I think it's a really good point. I just had no idea we would be having this conversation. And to, honestly, to give Jay Wright credit, he has made those adjustments again during this softer part of the se- schedule. I wouldn't be surprised. I know people aren't going to like the question, this, yeah. but I wouldn't be surprised if when Villanova plays Marquette for the second time, we go back to that six and a half man rotation. And actually what I was going to say is I almost think it's worth just lumping Caleb into the starter conversation. I mean, pretty much. It's basically five and one. And then Antoine is that seventh man off the bench, but that's when you start getting into the the questions and the unpredictability, because we know what to expect. from. Oh, you asked the big question. And the thing is, there is no way of answering it until we get to another game. Like it is. What does this rotation look like when it is close, when it is against one of the more top teams in the big East. Um, And unfortunately we cannot answer that until we get another sample to play against, to see if Jay is truly looking to expand 
this bench and continue to grow, you know, kind of the minutes distribution, or if it's just more of a product of playing some of the lesser teams. Yeah. I I'm really curious. I, I, I kind too. of have a feeling we'll be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very but, possible. <laughs> but the bigger point is that if you aren't making those strides that we haven't talked a ton about Longino, but I think Longino did make those strides. As he well. did. If you're not making those in these type of games, then you won't have a chance to make them in the bigger games. So at least they're doing it now. At least Jay is seeing glimpses of it in a real game time setting mm-hmm. as opposed to just practice. So it's, it's small tears up. We're getting it. <laughs> We're getting it. No, you're, you're right. I, I should hundred percent mention Jordan. Cause I, I do think he played well, as you said, you know, he, he had the made field goal, which was a, a goal tent, but you know, he, he got to the rim. He made his two free throws. He always causes issues on defense. He had a foul called cause he was diving for a ball, trying to call it, cause a turnover. Um, I just, I love the active play style that Jordan has and, you know, seeing 12 minutes go under his belt is really nice. And then further than that, I get it was only one minute, but I was impressed with Trey Patterson in one minute. Uh, what we saw with him, two offensive rebounds in that one minute. He had a really nice kind of like up and under type post move. Like mm-hmm. that's huge for Trey. Obviously not a part of this rotation as, as it stands right now. Obviously is still working his way to gaining trust, but going out there on the floor and then making an impact, even in as small of a sample as he had, but doing that, that's got to stay in the coach's mind. That's got to be really nice for his development. And it's also got to be really good for his confidence. All those things. Yeah, that's really well said. And there was definitely a little bit of chatter after the game ended about why these freshmen, but mostly just just Patterson, honestly, uh, didn't get a little bit more run when this game seemed pretty sealed up. And I think the reason for that is we can pretty confidently say that Trey Patterson is not part of the equation this year. And that's not not. necessarily bad. thing. That's not necessarily even a disappointment because we know how little Jay relies on freshman period. I know that he's in a little bit of a different category because he had half that year. Uh, what do they call it? Reclassified. Yeah, pretty much. He came in the semester early, the semester early. So maybe he was in a different category than a true freshman like Jordan. We thought but, so, but apparently not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I remember you were super, super high. On I was, so maybe I, it is I take my licks there. Yeah. But I'm okay with him doing this in small glimpses because you're right. It does stick in the head, in the minds of the coaches, but that's almost completely towards next year now. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. For, for sure. So listen, it was a good cameo. Excited to see what he was able to bring there. (laughs) I I still don't expect him to work his way into this rotation. Kind of talked about it a little bit. I think eight is a real sweet spot, you know, Caleb, Antoine Longino. um, And, you know, we'll, we'll go from there. I think that's a really good point. I like it. I like the eight. It's better than what we were talking about. Eight's better than six. Yeah, (laughs) much better than six. I was just going to say something else, but I forgot. It's also, this is actually taking um, words from Chris from the full 40, but we were sidebarring with them. And he was talking about how nice it is to have Chris Arch in a potential nine spot now. Yeah, That's somebody that we can count on. It fits his his, um, skill set a lot more than being relied on as a seventh man. As a seventh man off the bench and being thrust into situations where he can't keep up offensively or defensively. Now, I think if he were to come off as the ninth man, people might be happy. People might think, all right, I have confidence that Chris Arch can not make a mistake. And the narrative was completely switched in that he was 
the safe option before. Now he's just the reliable guy that can go in and eat a couple minutes and throw an inbound pass as we saw yep. what, a, what a week ago or so. <laughs> that I, was I, wild. Yeah. I did have one quick thing just to throw in on the defense as well. Yeah. Cause I was so impressed by this. Uh, Villanova did a really good job against a much bigger team. That DePaul mm. team is, is massive. Honestly, they're, they're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country as thrown out there in, uh, in the view hoops, I believe recap. Um, that came out Villanova actually out offensive rebounded them uh, nine to seven and out rebounded them in the game 33 to 30. And to look at it, the, you know, the, the sizes of some of those, the ball players, two, six, six guys, six, eight, six, 10, six, 11, even further than just the rebounding though, they held DePaul to just 32% from two Villanova was 41% in that game for comparison, you know, very impressive for a team going up against a much bigger team in DePaul. They did not let them really, you know, uh, implement their will on either the glass or inside. Uh, that's a really good point, too. I was just going to say, without Freeman Liberty, they're It's a different one... attack. Yeah, yeah, it's a different, it's a different attack, and their one advantage is size. And yep. Villanova didn't let them exercise that at all. And maybe that's where they had the advantage. And I don't think we specifically mentioned him on this episode, but it's Dixon. He had six offensive rebounds. He had another double-double on the season. Again, I can't emphasize the fact about almost how little we talk about him and how good that actually is. <laughs> right? We should spend five minutes an episode just giving credit because us not talking about him means he's just that good. The fact that he bodies up those big guys on DePaul has become the norm for him. And that is such an incredible thing to say. It felt like a quiet double, double for him, you know, 11 points, 10 boards. And then also to Eric's credit, you know, he had just two points at half really wasn't much of a factor. And then came out as the leading scorer for Villanova in the second half with nine, um, you know, to, to finish with that 11. And then finally, just, just to look at it, my favorite play of the game was when he passed up on the open three, you know, gave it to Gillespie, then did a give and go with a little shimmy under the hoop for mm-hmm. the dunk. Um, just, oh, that was so awesome. And again, it showed more of an understanding of this offense and, and how things work together and the chemistry they developed. It's really exciting. It's why we had to shout the the man out for a birthday uh, at the beginning of this, oh, yeah. <laughs> this show. Uh, Eric Dixon just continues to impress and still only a redshirt sophomore. I forgot we did that. My bad. Yeah, we, we have talked about him a little bit, but you're right. It's just that the balanced attacks, the court awareness, such a mental and physical leap. It's, it's beautiful to watch. Yes, it is. All right. I think that's all I got. You want to move to St. John's? Yeah. Do you want to hit the, uh, the challenge first or do you want to do St. John's? Oh yeah. Yeah. Let's do the this challenge. This will be really quick. So uh, we'll hit this very, very quickly, but you know, we are 10 games now into Villanova's big East slate. Uh, and so we thought it was a good opportunity to again, look at that, our, uh, State of the Nova Nation and full 40 kind of biggies pick them challenge. Just a side note, I did the math very, very quickly on this. So if I'm wrong, I apologize, but I did not have a lot of time before the show to be able to get this done. But so some updated standings from what we're looking at right now. Rob is currently in first place at 11 points, still riding high off of that first Creighton win has yeah. really been a big differentiator between us. Myself and you are tied in for second right now with 10 points. And then Chris is sitting there with eight. Of course, still plenty of games to go, but at least to my very fast math, which certainly may be wrong, that is how we're looking. <laughs> it's closer than I thought. And honestly, if it's I very remember close. correctly, Chris is the one that towards the end of the season started throwing some some wild ones in there. So he easily has a chance to to catch back up with us. 
Chris, yeah, listen, what Chris has out there, he's got Butler winning at Hinkle. And so I know he was going for the Hinkle magic, but God, that Butler team's awful. So we'll see. Let's just see. say if that happens, we will be too angry to record an episode about it. Yeah. I'll cry, um, quite simply, because uh, that, that just cannot happen. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, we've got some interesting ones coming up. I think we both have St. John's splitting, or Chris and I, I mean. Yes, yeah, so I say some- I have a sweep over St. John's. Yeah, Providence, UConn. These are the these are the games that are gonna that are gonna differentiate. So I, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, the the beginning part of the season, the four of us definitely were a little more similar for the picks yeah. that we went about. But as we move into kind of the second half now, the Big East slate things certainly start to differentiate a little more, and it'll be really exciting. So that's how we stand right now. If you were a part of it and submitted it, let us know how you're doing. Yeah, please tweet at us. You can send us a screenshot and brag or commiserate. (laughs) Both both ways, we'll appreciate. But yeah, so talking about the second half of that season, I feel like we finally turn a corner and get to see some new faces, which is nice because Nova has seen a lot of the same opponents over the last couple of weeks. So we've got St. John's. St. John's on Saturday, I believe, correct? Correct. At the Pavilion, by a Saturday late afternoon game at the Pavilion. When's the last time you remember that? Because I was I just going to say, almost all the weekend games were either on the road or at Wells Fargo. So that'll yep. be fun at the Finn. Just a quick look at St. John's, and then we can talk about some keys. And I have a, a cool number at the, at the end. But they're 11-7 and seven on the year, but they're 3-4 and four in the conference. Their Big East wins come over DePaul, Georgetown, and then they recently beat Seton Hall. Yeah, Monday they, night. They lost to Seton Hall by tw- by 20 points, and then just day. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let me restart. They beat Seton Hall by 20 points just days after losing to that same Seton Hall team by six points. Yep. So if that says anything about the type of team St. John's is, we've been talking about it all season long. It feels like this team has potential to be a tournament team. They just haven't caught on yet. And I don't know. I honestly haven't watched a ton of them. Tempo is their thing. And oh, it just sure. seems like on a defensive and scoring front, things aren't meshing as well as a lot of people hoped they would. Yeah, I will say I'm very disappointed in St. John's this year. We know that they are normally inconsistent and they have gone full on Jekyll and Hyde mm-hmm. this year where it's just it's so hard to nail this team down, you know, that they fought with Kansas for a half really well before getting blown out. They were close to beating Indiana on the road. They, but, and then they have their poor ones, like losing to Pittsburgh at home was inexcusable in, uh, in December. They don't have that big quality win yet. I mean, yes, I know they beat Seton Hall on Monday. They did so without Bryce Aiken. Bryce Aiken is everything to the Seton Hall team. They just don't have any other type of scoring punch. Jared Roden is, is fine, but he's not, it's not enough for them. Uh, for St. John's, though, very fun with that win. It was at Walsh Gym at Seton Hall, yeah. which was the first time they had hosted a game since 1989. Uh, and it was student only, which is very, very cool. Just like when Villanova held that game at Jake Nevin. What was that, our sophomore year? Um, oh, yeah, against Penn, right? Against Penn, yeah, which was also yeah. student only. So cool to see you know Seton Hall do that. But sorry to digress from St. John's. I had, had to shout it out there. <laughs> um, looking at this St. John's team, I mean, yes, I know you kind of mentioned it a little earlier. It's very easy to look at Champagne and Posh because those are, yeah. of course, the two guys we think of. Aaron Wheeler has been really good for the mm-hmm. Johnnies. Big impact coming over for Purdue, averaging eight points, four, four boards a game. Can knock down a three as well, even though he's six foot nine. Uh, Addy Wusu been really impressive this year you know has made a big jump especially from three and Joel Soriano is the one that I want to point out 
He's a Fordham transfer. We know St. John's is all about transfer you, basically. Not a huge offensive disruptor, but very tough on defense. Averages a lot of rebounds. I think it's like 1.7 blocks a game as well. So he's a true rim protector for them. The best thing I can look at with the St. John's is I have no idea what the hell which team is going to come out here. Uh, So they're so hard to kind of diagnose. I remember you and I were psyched for that Kansas-St. John's game. (laughs) Yeah, it was at UBS Arena on Long Island, too. It was not even close. They've continued to disappoint since then. I wrote down the same exact thing, like I said at the beginning, about these role players. Not that it's easy to game plan against Champagny or Posh. I actually think the opposite. I do think St. John's comes away with a win the next time we see them. I do think Villanova wins at home on Saturday. But that tempo, fourth in the country, according it's to Kempom, fourth in the country, it causes Villanova to have a lot of problems. Going back to the tempo conversation we had with Allen, too. Uh, I just looked up Joel Soriano. It is 1.7 blocks. I was. Oh, I got it. Let's go. Yeah, good good call by you. Thank Tell you. me which is more impressive, though. You knowing it's 1.7 blocks off the top of your head <laughs> or the fact that 1.7 blocks only gets you eighth best in the Big East. I'm going to go with the, the second one Eighth best crazy. in the big East because at 1.7 blocks a game is nice around the right? rim. No, no Soriano's legit. He is. He's a big, it's one of the few, not few, but I guess because Villanova style is so different, it's nice to see a big man step up and Joel Soriano has been that big man. So I'm excited to see how Dixon steps up. It'll be a big test for this defense. I'm excited yep. to see how they set themselves and then also how they play in transition something that have we haven't talked about in a while because yeah, transition d can be an issue at times right and maybe it was the marquette game but i feel like generally villanova has played some relatively slow tempoed teams lately so that'll be something to watch and then i do have something interesting about some of their scoring numbers sure. so Julian Champagny, I'm pulling it up right now. I don't think he leads the conference. Um, I can help you there. Second. Yep. Right behind. Thank you. So we know it's him. And then we know what Posh Alexander brings. I actually think part of the reason why they got off to such a slow start is because Posh struggled so much. Hey, he was benched for the Seton Hall game. He he was not a starter. Now he still played like 30 minutes of that game, but that was Mike Anderson sending a message to him. And I was just going to say Posh came out balling, by the way, as the six man. (laughs) Yeah, so he's definitely back on track now, which is unfortunate to face them. <laughs> for, yeah, unfortunate for Villanova. <laughs> but anyways, I digress too. So in four Big East losses, as I said, St. John's is three and four. St. John's averages just 68 points per game. In their three Big East wins, they average 87 yep. points per game. So like I said, those wins come against the, De- the DePaul's and the Georgetown's, which as we've seen, don't have great defenses but maybe there's something to be said against that Seton Hall defense. They still put up, I think it was close to what, 80, 85 points. I don't have it right up in front. 84. Of yep. 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 84 points. So I thought that was a very, very stark difference. And the other thing is, I don't know how much this comes into it, but from what I remember about playing basically the same version of St. John's last year, they're a very emotional team. Mm-hmm. And it feels like when they're in a groove, they're clicking on all cylinders. They're flying high. But if they're they don't get good. off to a good start, <laughs> it seems like the wheels come off. And I, that's mostly Posh Alexander. He's a very, very emotional. Um, what's the word? Like Just emotional player. Yeah, he gestures a lot. He, he's very easy to read. <laughs> so 
I think that plays into it. They, they need to be a little bit steadier. They need Champagny's leadership to step up. But you're right. I do not know what version of St. John's we're going to get. And I am still a little bit scared of that good version that resulted in a loss last year. Oh, they're, they're absolutely scary um, to, to look at them because when they're on, they're tough. I mean, as you said, right. Julian Champagny's averaging 20 points a game. That is not easy to do in this conference. Uh, he's only one of two guys doing it, Freeman Liberty and him. Um, so it shows how good they can be there. As I said, Eddie, uh, Wusu has been really strong for them, you know, stepping up as a, as a, another scoring option. He's gone from 27% from three to 40% from three, which is a huge jump. And of course, giving them another option there, you know, there's lots of passing on this St. John's team. It's what can make them so difficult to defend at times. Uh, and I think, I believe Posh Alexander is actually leading the conference in assists per game and they're 12th in the country on assists per field goal made, which just shows how involved they are there. And then this stat kind of blows my mind. Three of the top five steel leaders in the big East are on St. John's between no way between Posh, Champagne and Adewusu three of the top five. So we know about their active hands and, and Mike Anderson trying to cause, you know, make teams uncomfortable. We've seen it in the past that St. John's tempo can make Villanova uncomfortable. We've seen this year that tempo as a whole can make this Villanova team uncomfortable. And I think that's exactly what you're going to see the Johnnies try and do at the pavilion on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So like I said, I'll stick with my guns. I I think St. John's can win on the road, but when it comes down to it at home with Villanova's in its groove, I think it has more talented players than St. John's has, but I will not, ignore the possibility of this tempo really getting to them and something else I love is that now Marquette with soccer smart is going to be known as the deflection school St. John's (laughs) is already known as the tempo steals school and Villanova is known as the shooting threes school I love that everybody is kind of finding their groove here and doing their own thing and causing issues on their own I think that's cool no it's awesome so I'm really excited for this game on Saturday I do think Villanova pulls it out but Mm -hmm. I love watching the St. John's games just with like you really never know what you're gonna get um (laughs) but what you do know is that Julian Champagne is gonna be a stud and that Nova's gonna have to try and lock him down the best they can he's fun to watch so do you think they are out of the tournament as of right now, yes, uh, they okay. they don't have the quality win to do it, which is why Villanova is going to be so enticing for them, which is a little scary for us. And the fact now that they will have not played since Monday, basically giving them a full week to prepare, you know, for this Nova game on Saturday. They're going to come out gunning. They need this win badly. Um, yep. So expect the best effort from St. John's. And that means no tired legs for Villanova, which is good for me. And just, I mean, talking about this, strength of schedule piece for St. John's. If they need that marquee win, they have a couple chances to get it. They play Nova twice. They play Providence. They play Xavier twice and they play Yukon. So yeah, they've got a chance. If they want to turn the season around, they 100% have the chance to do that mm-hmm. with some key wins at home and on the road, honestly. Yeah. And that's before the biggest tournament too, where of course they can <laughs> lock up a, a couple more. So, um, but this is crucial for them. They, it's been a rough start. You know, they, they've lost to good teams. It's not like they have a DePaul or a Georgetown or a Butler loss in there. They have their losses, as you said, came to Providence, UConn, Connecticut, and Seton Hall. But this is a chance for them to really take a top scalp. So I, I do expect them to come out gunning. Yeah, I think it's close. I think it's a within a 10-point game. Yep. Yeah. All right. What do you want to do next? You want to do a little around the Big East? Yeah, we might we as can well do go quick right here. into it. Yeah, we, yeah. We, we can go quick here. Um I mean, the big thing is, as we look around the Big East, 
the, the games on Wednesday night are what I think we're most interested in. I know. And we're currently recording. <laughs> so you guys will all know the, the outcome of these games uh, by the time that this comes out uh, on the 27th in the morning. Uh, Providence up 26-14 on Xavier as we record yeah. this right now, which would be a very big win for the Friars. And of course, Marquette against Seton Hall as well. If we look to the weekend, Saturday is a super fun game. I believe 10 Big East teams are in action with Seton Hall being the only one out of it. Your marquee games, of course, Villanova's playing as we just talked about. Xavier Creighton should be a good one. Marquette Providence as well as some, some really good opportunities to see some of the top teams in the Big East go at it. Planning on being there. Of course, yes. we're supposed to get a nor'easter. On I Saturday. know, I know. <laughs> so I would be very disappointed if I can't make it there because that is that. That's probably the best game of the day. Villanova St. John's has the chance to be really, really good, but if we get that bad version of St. John's, it won't. Marquette Providence is going to be a rock fight. I can't wait for that game, and I yeah. won't be able to watch it because I, I think I'm going to be at the Villanova game that night. But um, I, I will definitely catch the highlights because it is such an intriguing matchup where I'm still trying to figure out how good Providence is. I know. Um, and Marquette, of course, we know has come out flying in Big East play. Or lately. It's the sh- <laughs> it's the, yeah, exactly. That's why, like, I don't know if I'm saying Marquette is going to be this version of itself all season long. Every I don't night. know if I'm, yeah. I don't know if I'm there yet. On the road but, at the dunk. It's a big ass. Yeah. That's tough. They beat Providence by 30 points the game prior, their, their first meeting of the year. So you know Providence is going to come out of this game screaming. And then also Providence has only had, I believe, uh, this Xavier game that they're playing as we speak is only their second game back since the COVID pause. I believe that's correct. And I still, I don't know about you, I still don't know who was affected by that COVID pause. I no. know for a fact Ed Croswell was, but I don't know who else. So you don't know who is coming back from this illness, who's dealing with conditioning problems. So I wonder if this will be the full strength Providence that Villanova might face next month, let's say. No, it's a fair point. So I, it's, it's a big measuring stick Yeah, for them. And uh, listen, as of right now, I have sadly not been able to watch this game, hoping to watch the second half, but Providence yeah. is doubling up Xavier 28-14 as we're recording right now. It's a now. big lead. Yeah. It's a big lead. It says a lot about both teams. If Providence wins and if Xavier loses, I have questions. <laughs> if Xavier keeps struggling, I, I am going to ask questions about yeah, them, but that. That's, I agree. A, that's a segment for another time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get into the questions now because we have a bunch and they are very good. We had one more little big East thing. There was a, there was a coaching change. Oh my God. That's right. Oh, it's very quick. Away. No, no, no. The small thing that's also rocking the sports. World yeah, right exactly. Now. No, it, we're just bringing it up because of course it did come out today and the, the former connection to the biggest, I'm sure many of you know this as you're listening to this, but Chris Mack and Louisville reached a buyout to uh, immediately end his time as the head coach of Louisville. I believe he had a 68 and 37 record during his time at Louisville, of course, coming over from the Xavier job where he worked absolute wonders with that program, his alma mater. Um, You know, it it came to an end today. And I have to say I was 100% dead wrong about how this hire was going to pan out when he came on uh, to Louisville. I thought he was going to just completely enhance that program with the resources that they have and the history and and all of that, I thought it was going to propel him with how great of a coach he was at Xavier. And I know they had some issues as well with the NCAA, but things just never, never clicked. And, and, you know, now you see Louisville moving on here at, you know, to, to give the full 40 credit because I know they said it and I think they're hundred percent right. 
he messed with happy, you know, at mm. Xavier where things were perfect. And he left for Louisville, the big payout, you know, the, the big lights, the ESPN contract, all that. And it just, it hasn't panned out. So I, I think they nail it with, you know, don't mess with happy <laughs> from, from Chris and Rob over there. And it's just to see it end this way. It wasn't surprising. Cause I think a lot of us saw it starting to move this way, but from where it began, I'm shocked that he did not turn Louisville into a, a national championship contender again. I was That's exactly where I was going to start, too. They expected him to bring the same type of success that he built at Xavier to Louisville, a team that desperately needed to get back to that type of significance, and they couldn't. And even this doesn't have to turn into a whole conversation about the conference, but the ACC is struggling. Who's going to bring the ACC back in, in these next few years? It's because I Duke and Chris who else Matt, right now? Yeah, Duke. Uh, I'm sorry, Chris Mack's loss is a big personality ego loss. You're losing Coach K. Somebody's going to have to step up and lead this conference because you've got the rise of the Big East. You've got the rise of you've got the rise of the WCC at this point. <laughs> I mean, college basketball is different, and it's not dominated by the ACC anymore like it used to. It, it, things are different right now. With UNC being down, you know, Florida State's fine, kind of, is how right. you look at it. Louisville yeah, they struggled. were good last year. Syracuse yeah. is just, is 9-11 and 11 right now, and Bayheim was quoted after the Pittsburgh game saying, we're just looking for a win at this <laughs> point. Like, no, the, the, the ACC is, is not the premier conference in college basketball. I feel very confident saying that, and I know some people, it might be stark for people to hear, but it's true right now. And, uh, you know, Louisville is one of those premier programs, of course, has Big East links as well uh, from where they were not all that long ago. But they're rebuilding and they're still trying to figure things out with some of their top programs, especially with a Louisville, a UNC, a Syracuse kind of experiencing some down periods. Yeah. Is it bad that it doesn't make me that sad? Oh, please. As Big East fans, you think I'm <laughs> sad about the ACC being down? I'm thrilled. But that's yeah. the fan portion of me. I would never say that on a on a podcast where I'm trying to be professional. An objective podcast? What? No, 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 never. <laughs> no, that's that's good inside though. I, it felt like this whole day was weird. It, it was sudden when it happened, and then it was mutually parting ways, and then it was agreeing to a buyout. So there are a lot of conflicting things happening. But the bottom line is, he's out, and he didn't do enough to earn himself a spot even for the rest of the year. So, <laughs> crazy. It's true. Now we can get to questions though. All right. Yeah. No, I'm glad we hit that. That was, that was a good call. Yes. No, um, wanted to make sure we brought it up. We got a really, we got a really good slate. You want to start with we Jerry did. Quinn? Oh, of course. We always got to start with Jerry, our guy. So Jerry asked us three questions here. First one, will we see early season Slater again? <sighs> I want to say yes. I, I don't know if we can answer this question without having full Intel on his injury, because we've talked about this. You and I are both, basically putting all of our bet, all of our eggs in his injury basket, because if it isn't based on the injury, then I have no idea what to say about his play over the last month or so. So I hope if he continues to get healthy, then we can go back to that version right now. He's just playing compromised and it seems to be a long journey for him as of right now. The last six games, the most points he scored is three. Um, so it just, and you know, we saw Slater at the beginning of this year, of the year, 17, 23, 14, 16, 17, like he, he showed that he can score. I, as you said, listen, of course we don't have ironclad information here to, to know the health, but it just feels like that ankle injury is looming over him and is seriously uh, hurting all that he can do. I hope 
we can see Slater get back to it. But, you know, as long as he battles this injury, I, I think it's become a real struggle for him. And the three was against DePaul. Yeah, it was. You <laughs> <laughs> tried to bury the lead there. He went that long stretch attempting one or two shots a game. But yeah, I, I feel the same way. We, we all obviously have our fingers crossed because we remember how good that stretch was. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, second one from Jerry, will UConn games be the toughest ones left on the schedule? Yeah, I think you and I both agree that UConn presents the biggest matchup struggle for Nova. That being said, I'll say it. I'm scared of Providence now. Oh, Especially, look at you. Is there any uh, bias that goes into that? No, my mom is standing <laughs> next to me with a knife telling me that <laughs> exactly. I have to say that. <laughs> no, I, I, I just, I've, Providence is probably the team that I've watched the most in the Big East, and they are so well balanced. We've talked about the depth on the depth on Xavier. We've talked about the defense from Seton Hall. Creighton can have a good night. Marquette has a lot of defense, but from a scoring perspective, Besides UConn and Villanova, I don't know if anybody can shoot the ball better than Providence can when they have an on night. And I think that's scary for an offense on Villanova that might not put up more than 75, 70 points a game. I like that. But for me, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. I, I agree with Jerry. I am very uh, apprehensive when I think of UConn and what they can be just with the pure size that they can throw out there with your Sonogos and your Whaley's and your Cook of Cooks. Uh, you know, layer that in there with Tyrese Martin and RGA Cole for what they can do scoring wise. This Husky team is really good. They haven't lost a game since January 8th, which was an overtime game to Seton Hall, which was an all time, all time is, yep. is way too much of a stretch, but a, a classic <laughs> for this season for how good it was. Um, this Husky team is starting to hit their stride and I cannot wait for February 5th at the Wells Fargo Center when they come in. Yeah, the only lapse they had was because of a COVID issue. Had yeah, no, nothing to do with their actual productivity on the floor. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm all, I'm all for UConn being a really tough opponent here. Yeah, really quick too. It's the Adama Snogos and the Isaiah Whaley's versus the Noah Horklers. And sometimes when I watch Nova, I feel like Noah Horkler is going to present more of a challenge than Adama Snogo might. Ooh, interesting. But I, I switch day by day. <laughs> but it's it's going to be a tough matchup regardless and again weird we don't yeah. play providence until what is it yeah february 15th is the first matchup i know so got to keep waiting yeah. but we'll get there eventually last question from him and this is going to out us on our age a little bit where were you when chris jenkins hit the shot and how long did you celebrate yeah so we were seniors in high school we yes, unfortunately we were. were not on campus yet but we were sophomores when the 2018 championship happened I vividly remember I was at home on my couch. It was late. I mean, I, it was we around midnight school. I think. Yeah. yeah. And we had school the next day. So I wasn't die hard at that point. I'll out myself a little bit. I was not a die hard Villanova fan, but I remember, I think it was halftime. It was close. And I thought, all right, I'm going to stay up because I had, I believe I had already committed. Yeah. I had already committed. I was going to wear my sweatshirt the next day. I was all psyched about it. And then I will always obviously remember when the shot happened and my first thought was I'm so happy I, I'm going here I'm so happy I already committed because I don't want people thinking I'm committing only yeah we're not some of those frauds <laughs> that, exactly. that we graduated and, with 
And I'm so happy that I stayed up for this kid because <laughs> God forbid I missed it. I might not even be here right now. Yeah. So I can give a little bit different, but also similar perspective there with, you know, I, of course, I've always watched the biggies and I was watching Villanova very closely that season because I knew if I got into Nova, that's pretty much where I was going to go. So I had followed that entire season, you know, from the start, really locked in, got in on early action in December and basically to use the athletic word committed um, very soon um, after that. So I, I was all locked in for it, you know, followed Villanova very closely. As Emma said, senior in high school, when that shot in similar situation, I was in my living room uh, in a, in a chair and that shot goes in and I will never forget it. I of course let out an incredible scream. I jump up and then I straight tackle my father um, oh. in, into the couch. I was so excited um, and, and so happy. And I, I will never forget then going to high school the next day. I was one of two people from my school going to Villanova, wearing my Nova sweatshirt, being like, yeah, my damn school just won a national championship. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish I could give you more of the Villanova connection, but it still is a saying before our time is, is not true. But before we got onto campus, um, it, listen, it's one of my favorite memories ever. And I'll, I'll never forget that uh, with my watching with, you know, my mom, my brother and my dad. And then, um, of course, tackling my father, my poor dad. Yeah, that's so cool. I know who, how invested he is in the podcast. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Shout out, dad. Thank you for and my mom. Thank you for listening to all the shows. Yeah. Really appreciate it. That's awesome. I remember there was a girl in my Spanish class, too, that was already committed to UNC. And I'll I was take just that. giving her given her the side eye all class law. And I don't think she really cared about basketball, to be honest, but I was proudly strutting my villain. As you should. Sure. No, no, no. Yeah. A, a, as you should. <laughs> so thank you for the questions, Jerry. We can get into John Paul Mays too, another big friend of the show. You know, Brian Antoine, explosiveness to the rim. Will Jay let him play more um, as to open up the perimeter, passing lane, shooting lanes, all of that? I think I know we, we talked about touched it. On it a little bit. Yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit. I don't know if because of that one game the game plan is going to change significantly. I think it'll be small moments like that for a little while. And hopefully as he gets more run, I do think minutes is something that can certainly keep increasing. I hope this is the start of his offensive prowess, but I don't think this is going to be a, five plus points a game output from Antoine anytime soon. Yeah, I don't either. I'm hoping to continue to see those minutes uptick um, from him because I do want to see him play more of a role, but I don't know if this is going to be the jumping off point. We still need to see more, as I talked about, you know, in closer games against higher competition, if he's going to play him. So we'll see, but hoping for it. Uh, Second question from him. (laughs) I love this. Are you like me and find our inbounding under pressure to be the most stressful and (laughs) aggravating aspect of Villanova teams? I'll start just to to give you a break here. You know, in in past seasons, 100%, John, I would find myself screaming either at the television or literally on the floor while I was a student there about the struggles that this team has had just getting the basketball in because it feels like it happens all the time and Nova was had to take a ton of timeouts and five seconds would pop up. I actually think this season has truly been better, you know, for, from inbounding. I, there are only a couple of instances where I can think of where I am ripping the tiny hairs that are left on my head um, out. But I, I do that think must hurt even more. It, it does. <laughs> um, but I do think things have been better lately. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think I've been too traumatized to answer this question. Oh, from the past, it was awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could go off on what we've seen in the past. Because now that you think about it, I haven't had as many outbursts as I usually do, but I have just been so traumatized by the past. That I think we I don't all think have. I'll ever get past it. Yeah. yeah. 
it's just this, this inexplicable thing that they are so bad at and it has persisted for years and years and it years. Has. It's almost laughable until you have to end on the ball with seven seconds left in the game up one and you're about to turn the ball over and then it's not so funny but yeah we're, we're laughing about it now we're we're yeah, we'll it. joke about it yeah we'll have some fun here um question from justin berry here talking about brendan riley's article which we mentioned on view hoops if you haven't read it please go read it because it really is great um, you know, what role, if any, does the bench play in contributing to or mitigating the problem of Villanova's kind of struggle to close out games? He says he's not convinced playing the board, the bench more will help address the problem. It's almost like I created a burner. and asked. I, that's, that's exactly what I thought when this came in. I'm like, this is Emma. I created a burner by the name of Justin A. Berry. No, I didn't. Thank you for the question, there, Justin. <laughs> I mean that as a compliment because I am also not convinced that playing the bench more will address it. I do think we are on an upward trajectory of what Antoine and Longino add to this team. We've talked about it a lot this whole episode. Uh, I'll throw it to you. I, I, don't, I don't have a, a strong answer. This is something that could take up an entire podcast. It could, it could. And I, I know we've talked about it. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, first off, like Brent, as we said, Brennan article is great. And, and the big thing that comes out of it, the massive data point that just stares you in the face is that seven out of 10 opponents that Villanova have played ranked in the top 50 of Ken Palm. Uh, Villanova has lost its fourth quarter, the last 10 minutes of the game. They've been outscored by that opponent. And of mm-hmm. course, that is unbelievably concerning. And, and you also know that for here. Yeah, I do think that bench play is a huge contributor for it because I just, I think it's a heck of a lot easier to go through dry spells and to, you know, have some, some mental mistakes get in there when you're tired. And when you're playing the 37, 38 minutes that sometimes the guys like Justin and Colin are forced to play out there. I think it has a negative effect. We've gone through it a million times before. We do not have to rehash it, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting hives just thinking. I know, but, (laughs) (laughs) but that's how I look at it. I know Emma uh, approaches it differently. Yeah, my, my one my one thought will be at this point of the season, in those final 10 minutes of a game, Jay Wright is not going to put Jordan Longino or Brian Antoine on the floor to see how they do. He's yep. going to stick to his starters. And if they so happen to shoot poorly, he, he left it up to his guys. And people might not like that. I might not personally agree. I honestly don't know anymore because <laughs> I, I feel like I lose sleep thinking about this question. So I respectfully need a little bit of a break from it, to be honest I, with I'm you. I'm going to give you another question a little bit that you're probably going to ask for a break from, but yes. you, are, you already know what that is. Um, yes, I question, do. Question two from Justin, and I love this one. Which of any incoming freshmen are likely to see mini- meaningful minutes next year? You take this one first. Yeah, sure. So but it, there's three committed players right now for Villanova's recruiting class. And I still think it's very difficult to kind of figure out who's going to feature heavily until we know the exacts of who's gone. We know Jermaine and Colin will be gone, but you know, with COVID years, Brandon Slater could still come back for another season. I have a feeling Justin Moore is at least going to entertain NBA combine type things. That does not mean he's going to go, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear that he's considering leaving things like that. So just to put it as a grain of salt and say, take these things into consideration before we do it. As I look into it, you know, Cam Whitmore, of course, is the guy we're going to look at here. Five-star recruit, you know, kind of the headline guy was just announced, I believe yesterday as a McDonald's All-American, which is incredibly exciting. He's a wing player at 6'6". I do think you've got a chance to see Whitmore come in and try to give Villanova some sort of wing depth here. 
you know, whether he to take not to take Jermaine's role. I wouldn't say as we stand here on January of 2022, I expect Cam Whitmore <laughs> to be a starter uh, when we go into the next season. But I, I do think he's got an opportunity, you know, play some legit minutes. And we've seen it in the past. You know, your Justin Moore's, your Jeremiah Robinson Earls, your Sadiq Bay's freshman can play. It's just does it fit, you know, the, yeah. the exactly what, what Jay's looking for. Mark Armstrong and Brendan Hausen are the other two coming in. Um, it would be interesting to see how they develop their both guards, Hausen, a sharpshooter, Armstrong, more of a slasher type combo guard. Um, that's my quickest thing. We were going to talk plenty more about recruiting as we go later in the season. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good answer. And I'll go just a little bit avoiding the question, but also next year is when we're going to see the real version of Trey Patterson. And we're going to yep. see the first glimpse of Angelo Breezy on the court because he did redshirt. That's this true. Year. Yeah, we'll Learned count him too. Gino. So I, I, I'm excited for that. As excited as I am for the new players, I also think it'll be really exciting. Nana Njoko is another guy that I forgot mm-hmm. to mention. So I think it's going to be a big year for those young players too. Uh, I do too. Those, those are some great points. We've got two questions to close things out here. First one comes from our friends at the full 40. Is it too soon to call it Germanuary? Germanuary, excuse me. Germanuary. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. No, uh, it's been, it's Germane season. We're just waiting to <laughs> rename Germanuary. Pretty much. I mean, of course, this is awesome. And this is also reference to kind of what they had brought up. Uh, I believe it was last week in an episode about, you know, talking about Jermaine Samuels and how his play seems to um, increase or get better once January comes along and then kind of stays that way for the rest of the season. If we just look at January for Jermaine so far, he has put up double digit scoring outputs in four out of eight games. Now it's still not super consistent. You know, he's got a six and a zero factored in there. I know the zero was when he was injured, didn't practice at all that week, but we are seeing, you know, much better performances from him. So hell yeah, let's call it Germanuary. (laughs) That's that's a good number. It's can I add something else too? Marquette always seems to rev him up a little bit. Once Nova faces Marquette, Mark Jermaine Samuels usually plays well for the remainder of the season. So we're past one, and maybe we see a different version in this back half. Just throwing it out there, manifesting things. Let's throw it out there. I'm for it. I'm I'm for it. And then we've got one more question. And it's a question we've seen many, many times, but this time it came from the great Eugene Repay. Will we see a return of the suits this season? I'll say it again. I'll let you take that one. Cause I know it's your favorite question. I mute people who troll me about Villanova suits. I will not take it. We do not need to be talking about Jay Wright and his suits <laughs> respectfully. I'm ending the conversation. I'm not even going to let you answer, Pat. We're done. We're not oh, so talk about I it. could answer it. I have thoughts on it, but I'm afraid of what the replies will be if I do. <laughs> you can't. They will They will come after you like vultures, and I will mute you myself. So, no. Respectfully, no. Who cares? And we're moving on because we can focus and talk about better things than Jay Wright suits. How about e- that? Eugene, Emma has spoken. I've been silenced. <laughs> Um, uh, but <laughs> no, that was fun. I knew you'd appreciate that. So thank you, yeah. Eugene, for the question, but that does it for our That's mailbag. Awesome. Yeah. So I think we have one more thing, right? We do. We have a little announcement. So we do have an announcement. I'll take this one first. And then of course I will let you finish with it. So unfortunately I will be taking a small break from the state of the Nova nation podcast. My, I work full time at NBC sports. And I actually have an Olympic assignment. I won't be in Beijing, but I will be working uh, in at their Stanford branch doing the Beijing Olympics. So that is hopefully for all these 
people listening will be able to tune into some of the Winter Olympics. They span yeah. from February 4th to just about the end of February, February 20th. So I will be working crazy hours because Beijing <laughs> is 13 hours ahead. So I will miss about three weeks, like six episodes or so. Pat's going to hold down the fort though. We actually did this with our own podcast. Did you hear over the summer and it worked really well. So just wanted to put that out there. I might be able to make a small appearance, but don't want to lock myself down to anything. So this will be my last episode in a while, but then I will be back before the big East tournament, which is actually pretty good timing. And we'll get back into the swing of things in March. Yeah. Super excited of course, for you and the opportunity, because it's just awesome to be able to say you're associated with the Olympics. Um, so I, I think that'll be very cool for you and for everyone listening. I got you covered. Um, I, I will hold it down. You know, you'll still be getting your normal episodes, you know, recaps, previews, all that sort of fun stuff. Mailbags still going to be continuing with everything. You're just going to be getting it from me and, and we'll see if we can work some other things in between. Um, but, you know, really excited to, to keep this thing going. Don't worry. Stay the Nova Nation is not going 100%. anywhere. Yeah. And, uh, getting into that good point of the season. So make sure you're subscribed. You don't want to miss anything. We are. So I'm so sorry if you're sick of my voice, because you're going to hear a heck of a lot more of me <laughs> over the next month, but uh, we're going to have some fun as we always do. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. You holding the fourth down until I get back and it'll go by quickly. The, the Olympics will be fun. Nova basketball will be fun. And then I'm so excited for this March stretch because we're going to be all over it. Oh, it's going to be good. And I'm pumped to yeah. get into it. So it'll be great to have you back for, uh, for that. Yeah, definitely. Sweet. All right, then that will do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out the website. You've got your recap for DePaul, a couple takeaways from that DePaul game up there as well. And we'll see some more content throughout the week as we get closer to the St. John's game. Be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and follow us on Twitter at S O N N pod. We will be back at it. Or excuse me. I will be back at it. Got to get used to saying that now. I will be back at it on Tuesday, but Nova Nation, until then, have a great weekend. So Nova Nation, 